great to have you on the show today. In a way, I'd like to debunk the myth that plastic is evil. I mean, with its lightweight and durable properties, plastic is an integral part of our future. And I know that is a controversial thing to say. So it's important for me and in our podcast today to sort of shift the focus rather to the true issues about plastic, traditional plastic, and that's it's derived from fossil fuels and it's end of life. Basically, we have a massive issue with plastic waste. So for me, you are one of the pioneers for the food industry, and you're one of the first people to have addressed this issue um, concerning flexible plastic packaging. So before we dive in to your story, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Thank you for that, Kimberly. My name is Dr. Ken Lavador. I have worked both in the chemical industry and also for branders in, in the food industry. So I start off my career at Dow Chemical and went to work for Total Petrochemicals. That gave me a lot of the base experiences for doing this. And then I went to go work for the Frito-Lay division of PepsiCo. And one of my first projects on there was to work for the Sunchip compostable bag. Now in this, when you have flexible packaging, it is very material and energy efficient. You use the absolute least amount of material to get the potato chips, the pretzels, or whatever else you're buying to you, and you minimize the waste. But you can only do one thing. You can only throw it away. So this project, which I did over 10 years ago with a team of a lot of good people and a lot of vendors, which without whom it couldn't have been possible, the work we did was to give people another option. I love that. I even remember as a consumer of Frito-Lay chips, the shift to the compostable bag. Essentially, my understanding is that the conversation was not to remove plastic altogether, but rather use more sustainable plastic alternatives. Could you speak to what conversations were happening at that time and how did this project even see the light of day? Well, this was started by people that, I, that I'd worked with, my management and others that had started this a bit before I came. Now, when you're dealing with your rigid plastics, right? Jars, cans, bottles, whatever, there's enough weight in that material to justify recycling. And as we all know, post-consumer recycling, creating a closed loop is definitely necessary. Mm. But as I've talked with various people over my career that actually run material recovery facilities, that's the first place where you're, you know, you throw everything, your blue bin, your yellow bin, or whatever color it is for recycling, single stream, most places do that. Once it gets to the recycler, plastic film gets caught up in their gear work and they have to have people go in there and cut out with box cutters. It's dangerous work. So that's why a lot of times for flexible films, you do not want to put them in a recycling bin. Mm. So there has to be another option. Now, just the physics of how composting works is when something's very thick, it's not going to compost particularly quick, whether you're doing it at home or a big industrial composter. And normally people want to put time limits on that to allow it to be done. Now with thin film, that's kind of perfect for composting. So the idea was like, okay, we're not going to be the recycle. What can we do? All right. We can compost that, that fits with the thin, you know, the thin films or the very limited material there. If I'm understanding you correctly, then we're dividing the conversation. There's a big scope of plastics. And what you've just done is divide what type of plastics we're talking about, and what type of plastics we're not talking about in your in your previous experience. So you mentioned the rigid plastics, that's the bottles, jars, caps, 
things like um, so if we were using a a jar of something, let's say a cream, that would be considered a rigid plastic. That's out of scope for this case. Um, flexible plastics or films, uh, you also called it. That's what we see really with like chip bags or single use packets. Is that fair? Is that a pretty layman's term? Yeah. So what we could say is it's the application. When I hold this thing in my hand, is it rigid? Does it have a, you know, is it three-dimensional? Is it a can, a bottle, a jug or something else? Mm -hmm. Or can I take the thing and can I crinkle it up in something smaller? That's flexible packaging. So you can use any sort of plastic for it, whether it's bio-based, recycled, or from you know petroleum sources. It's really the form of the package. So we're going to divide this in the conversation into two parts. The ridges, the things that stand on their own. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of those we try and recycle. The ones that are flexible, flop around, that are thin, that we can crumple up, you know, for those we got to go do something else with them. So gotcha. that's where composting becomes a good option for those. It meets all the standards and lots of techno babble around those, mm -hmm. but it's a way that we can do it in a time that meets those standards that you, that you can now reasonably dispose of it without having to throw it out. Got it. And in your experience then with Frito-Lays, obviously you were going from a virgin plastic. So a traditional plastic bag now to trying to make it compostable. Was that something that was already on the market? Was this a plug and play solution for Frito-Lays? How did that development come about? Not at all. This Back then you didn't have as many biopolymers or bio-based polymers like you do in the market today. This one was done by NatureWorks. They were one of the pioneers in the area and they came out with PLA or polylactic acid. So if anyone there just Googles in on Wikipedia, you'll find out what it is without me giving too much of a technical explanation. But with this, that was one of the only materials available that could be used that was biosourced and compostable. Mm. So, you know, that's a pretty complex topic. As soon as we talk about the sourcing and the end of life, we might have to do another another podcast for that one where we specifically dive into that little area. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Biodegradable and compostable, that's a completely, that's a subject that deserves its own conversation. So let's mark that for next time. But what I'm understanding you saying is essentially the Frito-Lay's mission was to find a non-traditional source of plastic. So shifting away from petroleum-based plastic and what happens to that in its end of life and therefore the compostable bag. Tell us a little bit about that. So with that one, okay. So now you have, to quote an old boss of mine, he spent his whole career putting things in this shiny plastic bags. And so these bags, as I always like to say, it was the best piece of technology you come into contact with every day that you throw away. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's, a, here's a little little thing that I like to do with a lot of people. There is no right or wrong answer. There's good and better answers. Mm -hmm. So how many layers do you think are in that little thin film that surrounds your chips, your pretzels, and everything else? And we're talking for the for the opaque ones. <laughs> I would say three. Actually, that's a very good answer. Woohoo! So you, you have an inner layer that has like the printing, an outer layer, sorry, an inner layer that has like the metal, the barrier, and the sealant. You have an outer one that ha has the print, and then in the middle you have a layer that kind of glues them together. Now, if you really want to get like Star Trek nerd level about this, mm -hmm. there's 11 layers when you really tease the whole thing apart. Wow. 
And some of them are so thin that let's say sometimes the metal layer that you see, if to get that level of thinness, it's like mm -hmm. taking a can of soda, taking that amount of metal and spreading it over an American football field or a soccer pitch for some of your European counterparts. Incredible. It's much more complex than what I thought. And I think what most consumers perceive as a simple plastic bag then. Exactly. As I always said back then, a chip bag is the best technology you come to contact with every day that you throw away. And it was my job at the time to change it. Cool. So how did you do that? Oh, well, first <laughs> you were we talking had... nature works previously. Yes. Well, they provide the base material that mm -hmm. does not first you have to take it and then you have to shape it in the form you want to use it. In this case, we call it a biaxially oriented film. So you had to melt it, you had to shape it, you had to pull it into its final form. And that is a whole discussion in and of its own. You had to put on the right coatings that give you barrier that join it together. So it's like literally it's like you're making you're making dough, stretching the dough out into a pizza putting all the toppings on the pizza, then taking two of the pizzas and smashing them together. Mm, 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 mm. So it is a complex process. I was on the team that did the technology for that to prove that it could work. Then from there, suppliers took that up, did whatever work they did. And a lot of the information I'm still trained is confidential to this day. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it got commercialized and placed out to the market. So literally you had the resin supplier, the people that made the films, the people that laminated the films, printed them up and put them together, the distribution teams, and then, you know, eventually the supermarkets where it showed up. So there's at least four to five different companies, depending upon how you want to define the supply chain, mm -hmm. to get it from a little tiny plastic pellet to that, ba to that bag of chips or crisps that, that's, on, that's on your shelf. And that's just counting the packaging. Wow. And that's over a decade ago that this technology was developed and then ultimately created uh, this compostable mm -hmm. bag of chips. Since then, is it still as complex of a supply chain? Is this more of an everyday practice now? Is this something that most companies are doing? What is that uh, compostable, flexible plastic packaging okay. look like for so chips today? Two parts, two parts to your question. First one uh -huh. is the supply chain is as complex as it ever was. It's, you know, it's actually been kind of optimized, at least over my entire lifetime. Mm -mm -mm. So that basic supply chain, I don't see it changing too much. New materials and new technologies will be introduced, but it's actually pretty efficient for getting done what needs to get done. Now, the other part, of course, there were some biopolymers on the market back when I was doing this around 20, 2009, 2010. Many more have come onto the market since then. So the amount of options have expanded. Mm -hmm. People have advanced. They use new, different sources. So it isn't just the biomass that NatureWorks happened to have access to at the time. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a greater array. And then there's a whole debate around that too. Mm -hmm. So we might want to put a, put a bookmark on that one for a later date too. Oh, yeah. I'd love to dig into biopolymers with you. Because that's, I think, also addressing the other concern about traditional plastic that we have is it's shifting away from version petroleum based plastic to all these other fun types of plastics that can be created out of what you're calling biopolymers. Okay. Let's, let's bookmark that for sure. So ju just one thing for your audience. A lot of times people say, okay, plastics does a lot of good stuff. You know, if you look back in the history before we had that for packaging, 
was unsanitary. Mm -hmm. Great. We solved one problem. Now there have been other problems created. How do we get around those? Some people say go to metal, glass, and paper. All right, you can do that. There's other costs that come along with that. Maybe your carbon footprint, maybe other things. But also like for paper, paper always requires polymers to functionalize. Most of our foods and all of our liquids are water-based. Mm -hmm. And well, everyone knows what happens when you get a piece of paper out in the rain. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be able to get away from that. Mm -hmm. And even if I did a metal lid on a glass jar, I normally need a small amount of polymer to make a seal to keep that thing relatively gas tight or prevent air from getting in out or water evaporating or things getting in. So unfortunately, you are not going to get away from polymers, even when you try and go to all glass or all metal. You will probably still have some small amount there. Now, if you do very good packaging design, maybe you can get around that. Mm -hmm. But I'll just say this. For our shampoo bottles, you know, plastic efficient doesn't break. Just imagine having a glass bottle in your shower and it breaking on your on the on you know the floor of your shower stall or your bathtub. That's pretty dangerous. So mm-hmm. I would just like everyone to know that, you know, if you try to do this in very simple terms, there's going to be trade-offs and some of them you may realize, some of them you may not realize. Right. So it takes a slightly more nuanced approach. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think also what you're addressing is, is to sort of buckle the buckle here is that plastic is really important for our future economy and our current economy, how we're using products for consumer safety, for the light weighting. I mean, that could even be another conversation about why plastic is beneficial and why we need it for the future. I think you listed a few really good health and safety ones there. Um, even logistically, how things are now produced in I don't know, we're producing a type of product out of London and we have to ship it out across the world. Imagine if we didn't have polymers to help um, guide that shipping. There's so many topics we can talk about in regards to why plastic is important. But for from your perspective, and to wrap up this particular conversation, what do you see as an important next step for biopolymers in the flexible packaging space going forward? What's an important well, next step for that? Well, what we've seen is we have seen a diversity of new sources coming forward mm-hmm. right in order to adopt their use it's the end of life now in europe there is a lot more composting in other parts of the world much less so so designing items to be say home compostable and being able to reliably home compost that is that is a big step yes. but like anything else you're not going to convince people and companies to invest in the infrastructure until demand is there. Mm-hmm. Classic chicken and the egg problem. Now, you know, I've worked on a lot of solutions in my life, but for certain things, you know, I can make suggestions, but we're definitely going to need people who have much more knowledge in that area than I do to go, to go take a look at that one particular thing. What do you do with compostable film, at the end of life? That is, you know, the technology that's been pretty much solved. That is a legal logistical and uh i'm going to call it a social problem because mm-hmm. defining how do you set it up such that oh i'm sorry and also economic too how do you design it such that it's economical and easy for people to compost whether it's collected or at their home mm-hmm. and 
making sure that the local municipality, state, or whatever government organizations are going to be involved are set up to help encourage that. Mm-hmm. So as I said, that's it. I'm going to, I think the term might be socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. So it's a political and socioeconomic and logistical issue. Complex, but just like with recycling that was starting to be addressed back in the 80s, at least here in the U.S., it's something that need, that needs to be built up. And we're not going to be able to do that you know, all in one day, because just like with plastics, nothing is inherently good or evil. It's what we put it towards mm-hmm. and how we use things. I think that's usually the more important question. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think if I'm hearing you correctly, it's a little bit how you and Frito-Lays were working with external partners to make that first compostable bag a reality. Mm-hmm. And now even going forward, it's about going beyond just the material even, but it's also about how municipalities are enabling either consumers or enabling their landfills to be able to improve that end of life for compostable plastics. Am I yeah, understanding that? Correct. And there's not going to be any any single so- solution for that one. Right. But just having something that at least could be home composted, that's a start. Now, where would we go from there? Okay, that's going to that's going to be a complex question. I have some expertise in the area, but we're going to need a lot more people to dive into that one. And I think we've already started to segue into one of the bookmark topics, and that's what is biodegradable? What is compostable? I can't wait to have you back on to talk about that. Dr. Ken Lavador, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I'm very much looking forward to the next one. Why, Ms. Mauser, it has been a very much pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for the invitation on your podcast today. Mm-hmm.